you deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Custom Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let me bring in the rest of the team because we have no time to waste on this week's show. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst here on the Blitz. Matt Butler, how are you today, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? What you got cooking, Matt? You oh, got, uh... I've been actually digging around looking at some Texas stuff, the S&P Plus in recent years. And when you look back to the Mac era... There were some really good years and also some surprisingly similar years to what you got these days. Yeah, I went through uh, for some art- different articles I'm working on. I went through uh, one that I did kind of looking at the gap between Texas and Oklahoma, and that ended up hmm. kind of being wanting to be a rebuttal from something uh, Zach Barnett posted on Twitter, Zach Barnett of Football Scoop, and it wasn't to, to knock Zach or anything like that, just uh, – Zach had a tweet after Caleb Williams, the five-star quarterback uh, from Washington, D.C., committed to Oklahoma, just talking about why Oklahoma's had the edge over Texas. Uh, and the point of the article was, well, it's it's more than just head coach and quarterback. And I ended up going down a rabbit hole in a short rebuttal, turned into like a 1,900-word story that took me a day and <laughs> a half form. to, to nice. finish. So. Yeah. A quick response turned into a uh, column. Yeah, so, you know, thank you, Zach, for right. getting my, my football brain inspired. <laughs> uh, but, no, Matt, I went through uh, looking at, at some other stuff. Uh, I dug up from really every year that I found. Can you find SP Plus numbers going back beyond 2005? Because that's pretty no. much where I find that it stopped. I bet you could starts. send Bill Conley uh, email. Yeah. That's about it. Um, so I went back and looked at SP Plus starting in 2005, going all the way through 2019, and looking at where Texas ranked in SP Plus defense every year. Uh, from 05 on, nice. and also looking at front seven havoc rate and defensive back havoc rate, and trying to, you know, I think that's kind of my my niche now, where I feel comfortable trying to find trends and uh, things like that. So uh, trying to make some correlations and put some things together. So, um, but anyway, a man who likes trends and he likes all kinds of statistical anomalies, if you can find him and get him his way, uh, because he's a renaissance man, and he is our lockdown corner here on the show. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, on the 40 acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, 
And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Rod, always. Rod, be anything top of mind for you as we get this week's show started? I got a few things I want to run down this week. We just want to see if there's anything top of mind for you. Uh, not really, not particular. Can I share some numbers with you guys? This article I wrote on on Texas and Oklahoma and where the gap resides. It, Do it it's up. funny because it's yeah. something we talk about a lot here. Uh, we talk about kind of when the the Big Twelve uh, had kind of that paradigm shift earlier in the last decade, where our Bryles got to Baylor, Dana Holgerson spent a year as Mike Gundy's offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. Get a few years after that, where Gary Patterson went all in on on spread slash air raid and brought in uh, Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham. Which he's done again. Right. And, you know, Oklahoma, it's not that Oklahoma was bad, uh, but it, it got stagnant for them. And, and even, like, this just shows you just how really good Oklahoma's been for a long time. Uh, their S&P Plus offense to start the decade, now SP Plus uh, to start the decade, uh, on offense 17th, 7th, 2nd, 30th, and 16th in 2014. Um, so it's not that they were bad, but, you know, we started to see teams, you know, Baylor was one, TCU was one, Oklahoma State. Those were really the three that found a schematic advantage and, and were able to use it to their advantage. And all of those programs ended up winning conference championships. It's weird. We talked about this a little bit last week. Like, you look at the schematic advantage K-State had because K-State shared a conference title with Oklahoma in 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really K-State sticking with using multiple tight ends and fullbacks, that became their advantage because when everybody started going space and pace, their counterpunch was, well, we'll just throw – more beef at them and, and teams can't handle it, and we know it's hard to replicate that on your scout team, et cetera, et cetera. But basically once Bob Stoops realized, you know what, we need to kind of go back to the past. Remember when he got the Oklahoma job, he brought Mike Leach in from Kentucky. Uh, so he went and got him a Leach disciple and plucked Lincoln Riley from East Carolina. And it, it's weird, you know, when you look at these blue blood programs like a Texas, like an Oklahoma the the edge of blue blood has is once they catch on to a schematic advantage, if they do it the right way, they can acquire the type of talent that they could just do it better than you can at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's really what happened with Oklahoma when they brought in Lincoln Riley. Uh, they kind of got back to the true form of the air raid. When, as we all know, Lincoln Riley's evolved that thing and and put his own spin on it. And if you're Oklahoma, you've been able to recruit a lot of talent. So basically, Oklahoma eventually caught up to the schematic advantage that everybody else in the league had, and has just done it better. As evidence, you look at Oklahoma's SP plus every year, SP plus offensive ranking every year. Lincoln Riley's been there, eleventh, mm-hmm. first, 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 third. <laughs> so they've been probably the best offensive program in the country since Lincoln Riley's been there. And you know what I found, Rod, was interesting. And, and Rod, yeah, you're actually included in these this data set that I discovered. Uh, when you look at the the decade of the 2000s, and, and Zach, man, this is really what got me thinking, and Zach mentioned why Oklahoma's had the upper hand on Texas since the 2000s. The 2000s is an interesting study in the rivalry because when you obviously Oklahoma won five in a row to start the decade, but then Texas wins three or four, and if something four breaks different, if something breaks different for Texas, yeah, thank you, Matt, four or five, and if something breaks different for Texas late in the decade, if they get into the Big 12 championship game in 08 and end up playing Florida, or Cole McCoy doesn't get hurt, if Texas adds a second national championship in the decade, then you would definitely say Texas wins the decade, and because because then conference championships are what at that point it would be instead of six to two, it would be five to three, and mm-hmm. so. The numbers would even out, but you would say Texas probably won the decade. And, Rod, we forget that the Big 12 at one point in time was known for producing high-caliber defensive prospects. Mm-hmm. You know, you think back, go back to the early portions of the league and guys like, Dat, guys like mm-hmm. Dat Wynn and yeah. then Roy Williams, Terrence Newman, 
Uh, Casey Hampton's in that mix. Yep. Go to the back end of the decade, or Derek Johnson in the middle of the decade. Go to the back end. You got Adama Katsuv on Miller. So Gerald McCoy in the 2000s in the corresponding NFL drafts. Yeah, Gerald McCoy's another one of those guys. In the corresponding NFL draft, so that's the 01 to the 2010 draft, Texas and Oklahoma both produced 24 total draft picks on defense alone. Only Nebraska had more. Nebraska had 25. Nobody in the decade had more first-round picks on defense in the Big 12 than Texas. Texas had nine. Mm. And you think about the ground that covers, you're talking mm. about all levels of defense. That's Casey Hampton. That's Brian Aragpo, Derek Johnson, all those defensive backs. So you're covering Huff Griffin, covering space. In the two, in the 2010s, the decade of the teens, Oklahoma 20 draft picks on defense, one in the first round. Texas 19 draft picks on defense, two in the first round. So you're still producing a lot of defensive talent. Here's the difference. Oklahoma guys in the last 10 drafts, 30, 30 draft picks on the offensive side of the ball. That includes two <laughs> quarterbacks who went number one overall. Yeah. You had two wide receivers go in the first round, back-to-back years. You had one offensive lineman, Lane Johnson, snuck in there. Mm-hmm. Guess how many draft picks Texas had on the offensive side of the ball in the last 10 years? It's crazy. None. I want to know. Six. Yeah. First round? Oh, draft picks. Total draft picks. Right, total yes, draft yes, picks. Yes, yes, yeah, because they had had first round since VY <laughs> on the offense. That's why I said none. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah exactly. Right, yo, you really get none. <laughs> of all the yeah. numbers we talk about, Rob, the one you just mentioned might be the most just Crazy. insane to think about. Yeah. Vince Young was the last first round pick on offense out of the Texas program. Sounds like a face tat when you throw yep. it out there. It's like, no, that's got to be wrong. It's like, no, that's right. And that's where, you know, it's sort of the public perception because people now sort of forget about McCoy. It's not as if 08 and 09 were that forgettable, but when history remembers you, you remember the champions, and you don't necessarily remember who went finishes in second place. But right. when you ask people when was Texas last relevant, they're going to be like Vince Young. It's almost as if you don't even – get that extra handful of years that you add on yep. even though you were elite. Right. Yeah, here's the problem for Texas, though. Um, ultimately, in addition to the struggles they've had, they're going to have to figure out how to solve the greatest offensive conundrum right now in football, period. I said this two or three years ago. I said the air raid's about to go mainstream. And – Right now, the, the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL is an air-raid quarterback. People were worried about that when <laughs> he was coming out. That's why he wasn't mocked very high in the first and the second round. There are mm-hmm. stories of Andy Reid going into Brett Veach's office, the GM, and saying, man, you know Mel Kuyper and these guys don't even have your your favorite quarterback because that was Brett Veach's favorite quarterback. was Patrick Mahomes. been obsessed with him mm-hmm. ever since he had been working uh, for, for uh, John Dorsey, uh, who was the GM in Kansas City. And... Andy Reid would go in there and say, why are you obsessed with this guy? Nobody else is obsessed with him. He's I'm telling you this guy's the future. Mm-hmm. They've been doing Andy Reid for a long time. Uh, a lot of questions. People didn't like him because of the air raid background. Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL, people didn't think the air raid would work. I said, the air raid is going to work because it's worked everywhere. And it, 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 no doubt it worked because he got the quarterback that's compatible to match up with it. And here's the thing. And air raid quarterbacks are all over the NFL. I'm not going to go through all that. But mm-hmm. here's the thing. Lincoln Riley is considered the best Offensive mind in football, and I, I, I would say that Shano and Andy Reid are probably right there and Sean Payton and some other guys, but he is right there considered in that conversation. In the last 10 years, there have been only three offenses in college football that average over eight yards per play, and they've all been in Oklahoma, and they've all been under Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. Right, he's doing things that with the, with the air raid that not even Leach could do and not even really that Cliff Kingsbury is really doing with it, and, not that, and Andy Reid's not really doing with it either. 
That's why he's so coveted. They can't really figure out what he's doing and why he's become the quarterback guru. And here's the thing for Texas, much like the the evolution of DBU happened when I was here because Leach brought the air raid in. Mangino was able to win uh, the national title, calling plays for for Oklahoma with his version of the air raid. Texas had to solve the air raid in order to win the national title and beat Oklahoma. There was no way around it. Mm-hmm. Coach Aquino, the way he was going to do it, he said, you know what, I'm just putting – Five two DBs on the field. I don't give a damn if you're a corner or a safety. I'm going to throw you out there. And that's why you had Quentin Jammer, who was a, a safety, and then they moved him to corner. You had Ahmad Brooks, who was a, a corner, and they moved him to safety. And Nathan Vash, who played both. That was the key. And then you got your Huff Daddies. And then you got your – and then later on, the evolution was your your Aaron Williams and, and then eventually those types of players. To, so I think ultimately I don't know how Texas is going to do it and how you solve the air raid. I'm not paid enough money to do it. Um, I got my own ideas. But that's what Chris Ash has got to do. He's got he's got to solve the right now and figure out a way to defend and shut down the what some people are saying is the best offensive mind in football. Mm-hmm. Todd Orlando did a decent job of it a couple of times, but it was sporadic and it was I don't know it wasn't consistent enough. There wasn't a blueprint that you could identify it. It was it, it was more maybe just luck and familiarity to beat Oklahoma consistently. If Lincoln Riley is going to be there. To do that, you got to figure out what the hell he's doing, and you got to reverse engineer it, and you got to solve it. The only team that's really been able to do it, only two teams that have really been able to do it, are LSU <clears> and Alabama, and you can count on one hand the number of programs that have the horses along the line of scrimmage to be able to do what they did. Amen. Yep. That's where Texas is at least lucky that you, if you get to the point like how Rod's talking about how Oklahoma not only schematically has been able to be elite, but then get the elite players. So even if, say, you aren't exactly at the cream of the crop on every day when you're performing, you still have the players that can make those plays. And then when we're talking about defense, defense is more player driven. So Texas is in that odd or the one unique situation where you can aspire to be what LSU in Alabama is which a lot of schools can't, and that's why you're able to go out and get the type of coaches that you want. Now the next question is trying to make it fit because, like you said, the example, you've seen it across this entire conference for a decade, and the, it's just evolved, and it's just going to get tougher to be able to stop it because it's not as if the offense is slowing down, and you almost have got to the point where you understand that optimal offense can beat defense. It just depends upon your players, and if Texas can get the horses, like you are saying, you yeah. might have them uh, in the secondary, but that's like the most vulnerable area of the defense and it's furthest from the line of scrimmage. So how do you impact quarterbacks? How do you impact play? If you can get there in those first two or three seconds, that's the main reason and that's why those teams can do that. Rod, you've been on the air raid train for a long time and you know when we talk about the offensive identity crisis at Texas, that still really you, you're on 10 years now of trying to find that right formula. Like we said, Oklahoma found it. Bob Stoops just went and got him what he felt like was a young Mike Leach. It's just we figured out, oh, man, Lincoln Riley is Mike Leach advanced 30 years into the future or whatever. He just yeah. definitely well, – And a decade saying, younger. Hey, some people are, uh, have compared Andy Reid would be an evolved, advanced, you know, 2020 version of Bill Walsh. And, you know, and Shanahan's probably the 2.0 version of his right. dad. Yeah. who was basically a West Coast disciple. I think the, the, the reason it's hard to stop the air raid, and they kept saying this, it's not 
it's it's not necessarily a a constructed offense. They, these guys keep saying it's a philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's like a religion, mm-hmm. right? So it conceptually it evolves. And how many religions are there, right? How many versions of Christianity are there out there? And Everybody's got their own interpretation of this, you know, of this verse and this and whatever it says in this Bible or the Quran. Everybody interprets it differently right. than a different sub, uh, sub, uh, uh, you know, kind of a sub religion mm-hmm. develops off of that. So I think that's the same way offenses work. And I, it's it's a virus, you know, and it's hard you, hard to kill a virus because as we're dealing with right now. Uh, they evolve mm-hmm. <laughs> different strands of it, and I think that's what's happening with these offenses, especially the air raid right now. Mac Brown, who who famously was stubborn about adopting any air raid <laughs> philosophy, now he's running a version of the air raid as a you know the reinvented, rejuvenated Mac Brown. And it's like, man, if you'd have started over with the air raid here in Texas, it probably worked out for you. By the way, Lincoln Riley, both of his his parents. Texas grass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Think, think about that, though. Like, think <laughs> about crazy. that. He could have offered him and been like, hey, man, you want to come in Texas and do your thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember there was message board chatter. <laughs> I want to say it was when uh, when Mac hired uh, when Mac hired Brian Harson mm-hmm. that there was chatter like, hey, should you just go, you know, Cause, because there was a different guy. Like, Paul Christ was up for that, and mm-hmm. Holgerson was a guy that was viewed as But that was un- when I first heard of Riley. Lincoln Riley's name started to come up like, hey, if you want, and there were people within college football circles saying, hey, if you want kind of the next wave of what offensive football is going to look like, go hire this guy. It's just at that point, I don't think Matt can be blamed to not hire. Well, yeah, you can't, I can't hire, I can't hire a, a, you know, a 29 year old offensive coordinator with one year of OC experience. We saw Charlie Strong make that gamble with Sterling Gilbert, but. You know, no, desperate times call for no, desperate no, measures, told, but Mac felt like he could have some longevity out of it. But uh, no, but to to your point though, Rob, you think about Mac now. He hired a guy in Phil Longo, who we heard from players of his at Ole Miss. They had an offense called Plan C, which is just run, just run a route, mm-hmm. pick a route, and yeah. run it. <laughs> like, what kind of offense is that? Yeah, but that's because it's a it's a philosophy. That's like a that's like a Bill Walsh turning over in his grave. Like, what do you mean? There's no there's no timing. There's no structure. There's yeah, freestyle. No, there's uh, talks about when Graham Harrell went to USC that the uh, the offensive line coach there, who I think they inherited, is like um, when he told him there was no playbook. He's like, "What do you mean there's no playbook? Give me some plays." Like, mm-hmm. it's no playbook, man. Yeah, yeah. and at times like, people he, misconstruing he these he players. He couldn't fathom that as an old school coach. You're trying to wrap his brain around. What? I don't really understand. What do you What do you mean there's no playbook? Here? And so it's just it's just a new way, but it's just I'm not saying that's the only way to play football right now. I think that's a wave of football that is now, you know, has matriculated all the way up to the NFL and is going to continue to evolve. And now everybody has their own concepts from it. It's just amazing that, you know, you're talking about Lincoln Riley and what he's doing at Oklahoma, that getting back to Texas, that Texas is on the forefront. They have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to figure it out in some version or other, but you got to get to right now the who is right now at the center, at the center of that air raid universe, which is Lincoln Riley. Right now, he is the you know he in terms of that that lineage, he is the the right now is considered I think even more so than Cliff Kingsbury, mm-hmm. he is considered right now to be the preeminent mind in that realm. And this is what to before we shift the focus to defense, 
this is what is so frustrating if you're a Texas fan looking at this offense over the last 10 years is you can go, Rod, from 2010 through 2019 and say the Texas offense was different every year and not necessarily in a good way, whether it was through personnel, through coordinator changes, Mm -hmm. philosophic changes, whatever. I'm going to give you the SP-plus offensive rankings for Texas in the last decade, okay? And it starts with 2010 and it goes through 2019. This is not going to be good. It's not. 73rd, 43rd, 10th in 2012. Hey. 62nd, 84th in 2014. Congratulations, Sean Watson. You had the worst. Sean Watson, you officially had the worst Texas offense of the decade. Uh, 59th, 25th in 2016. 81st in Tom Herman's first year. 27th in 2018. And 10th last year. They were 10th in SP Plus offense last year. But as as we talked last week, you were it was so your numbers were so great against the bottom tier defenses in the Big Twelve, and they fell off a cliff against the better teams in the league yeah. that it didn't really it was a didn't really matter. And while you're Amazing. on that a perfect uh, little way to use it as an example, people remember that '09 offense. Now it was one that sort of struggled. It seemed to beat inferior mm. opponents, but it was one that was definitely wasn't as good as '08. If you look at '09, they actually grayed out worse than 2018 and 2019. If you look at it just on the metrics, like where wow. The barometer at the top is Texas in 05 at 94.8, or in 08 was 90.5. Drops all the way down in 2009 to being 67.4. And if you look in 2018-2019, 70.3, 72.7. So comparatively, and once I started thinking about it, it was like you can see that you can be a, a good offense but a flawed offense that then against elite teams is one that may not be nearly what you need to win. But that's why, Nick. Cole McCoy, as we, as we, as we discussed, that people don't give him enough respect, and I've oh, said that insane. before. And he gets a lot of respect, but not enough because those teams, he, him, and Jordan Shipley carried those offense. That, oh that, yeah, in two thousand nine. So you guys want to, you guys ready to talk some defense? Any, anything else y'all want to add on the offense? So Matt, SP plus, according to SP plus, I thought I had that notepad with me, that legal pad, but I don't. the the o, the o five def- offense graded out. Slightly better than the 08 offense. Yeah, 94.8. And for context, uh, the only teams I've found so far, I haven't went through every single year again to double-check, but the only teams better than the 05 offense would be – LSU this year? LSU this year is the best of them all, (laughs) 97.2. OU 2018, OU 2017, both at 96.6. And then Ohio State last year. 95.3, slightly ahead of Texas in 05. Out of curiosity, what was – because A&M was number one in the country in SP Plus offense in 13. with Johnny Manziel. Yeah, Manziel's last year with Mike Evans. So they were just slightly better than Texas in 08. Yeah. Okay. Uh, James Winston in that same area, Mm 93.5. OU in 2016, 92.1. And then OU last year was 89.1, quite comparable to Texas in 08. Yeah, so that I'd kind of I know you had had those numbers at one time, Matt, and I was going through this and just kind of looking, but I didn't. I wrote some stuff down. But I thought I had. You guys know I keep like four different legal pads with me, and I got just had numbers. I we all do the same written thing. all over the place, like <laughs> Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind. Even though I'm no math genius, um. So anyway, uh, he was that was math in that movie, right? He was, a math, he was a math guy, a beautiful, beautiful mind. mind. Yeah, yep, yeah, you are correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, before I well, butcher good. before I good. butcher any more pop culture references, yeah. let's, talk, reference. let's talk some oh, yeah. Texas defense. And Rod, as you know, man, we talk about it. I'm, a, I'm a tr- Chris Ash is a beautiful one. I'm a trend. <laughs> I'm a trends guy. Uh, I, I like looking at uh, you know things you can find that you know, can tell you tell you about history. Uh, and quantify things. 
you know, our our staff roundtable this week at Horns twenty four seven looked at uh, you know your concerns or your confidence in Chris Ash, and I've written plenty about my confidence in Chris Ash, and we talked about it on the show. It all has to do with the trend of first year defensive coordinators. It's been really good at Texas. The concern is this, and I wrote this. I'll read verbatim from what I wrote. Even though history is on Ash's side and the Longhorns are going to be talented, his predecessors didn't figure out what they could hang their hat on right out of the gate. You know, the exception is our spirit animal, Will Muschamp. Uh, Texas led the nation in sacks in 2008. That's how Muschamp got that pass defense turned around, just turned up the heat on the quarterback. Right out of the gate, they had an eight-sack game in the opener against Florida Atlantic. So a healthy Brian Arakpo scheme change, and they were off and running. But you look at the other coordinator changes, and, and I just wrote some going through these examples. So Texas, I believe it was the second Big 12 game of 2011 with that Manny Diaz defense. Oklahoma State gashes them for over 200 yards on the ground. They averaged 7.5 yards a carry. And we know that Manny Diaz defense, it's, it's a lot of the principles of the, the Ryan brothers' defenses. You know, Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan both mm-hmm. were 3-4 th- guys, aggressive, blitz-heavy. And obviously when you're talking about the Ryan brothers, you're talking about the roots of their defenses. It's weird how you can look at a Manny Diaz defense and all traces back to really – in essence, the 46 defense of Buddy Ryan, uh, which was uh, aggressive and, and using hybrid defenders and, and things like that, and, and everybody kind of evolved it from there. Um, and one of the things we saw, actually, that the 46 defense was vulnerable to was kind of that spread passing attack, which other than the Miami Dolphins, nobody was doing that in the NFL at the time. I digress. After that game, which Texas was, I believe, 4-2 and two at that point, so after the sixth game of the season, over the final seven games, it seemed like the defense kind of got the hang of Manny Diaz's scheme in terms of, okay, this is why gap responsibility is so important, et cetera, et cetera. And you had a veteran defense running it. Over the last seven games, you only allowed 520 total rushing yards, 2.2 yards per carry. They finished sixth in the country in run defense, and we talked about how important getting offenses behind the chains were. That defense finished 16th in the country in tackles for loss per game, 7.38 tackles for loss per game. So it was, again, it was that high-risk, high-reward defense, but that defense in the second half of 2011 was getting a lot of the rewards. And that 2011 defense finished third in the nation in S&P+. Right. Go back to, uh, was that 11, Matt? Yeah, 2011. Yeah. I've got I've got Texas at fifth in the country in SP plus. Now these defense. efficiencies listed, the ones I'm looking at right now, either way, top five defense. Right. Okay. So go to 2014, Rod. You remember that game against Baylor, the Big 12 opener, where like on offense it was like a microcosm of the Charlie Strong era, where you had Tyrone Swoops and offense. They come off the goal line, they go like 99 yards, they get down to like the one inch line, and they bobble a snap and turn the ball over. <laughs> like the, like that was like yeah. the Charlie Strong era in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, like football. Texas loses 28-7, but Bryce Petty has probably his worst day throwing the football of his Baylor career. He goes seven for 22, 111 yards, and that was the day where it seemed like Charlie and Vance both realized, look. Limit your number of calls. You don't have to call everything in the in the playbook. You're good enough up front, and you're good enough on the back, and you've got enough talent. You can bend, but don't break. Make these spread offenses. Use as many plays as possible to move the ball down the field. At some point, they're going to press. They're going to screw up. You just have to be able to take advantage of the mistake when it happens. 
from that point on, we saw that defense really take off, and we know the 2014 defense finished 31st nationally in scoring defense. They were top 25 in total defense, 19th in the country in red zone defense, and 22nd in the country in third down defense. So basically, that was kind of the theory they landed on. Just kind of be bend but don't break. You know, don't give up the big play. Keep everything in front of you, and at some point, can you capitalize when they make a mistake because they're going to make a mistake at some point. They finished top ten that year. Right. Uh, the list I'm looking at, 14. I, I've got them at – I'm looking at football outsiders. i got them at 12. But, yeah, yeah same same difference. They're pretty damn elite if you're that ranked that highly. Yep, one Bill Connolly, one football outsider. Yeah. Um. So you go to 2017 – and, you know, that defense was kind of up and down. But think about that Oklahoma State loss, the 13-10 loss, the overtime loss. That was when we saw the lightning package become the base mm-hmm. defense. You got Breck and Hager on the field at the defensive end. You started playing Malik Jefferson and Gary Johnson next to each other to put more speed on the field. And that was really the day because Oklahoma State, they were, I think, leading the country in total offense. They were top, probably top five in scoring offense. Yeah, and second in offense that year. They were off and running once they – or Todd Orlando figured out just speed and length. That's how you're best going to defend these spread offenses. The 27 defense finished ranked third in the country in third down defense, eighth in run defense, 29th in scoring defense, 22nd turnover margin, and you led the country in defensive touchdowns. So, But the point is, in those three, with Manny Diaz, with Vance Bedford, with Todd Orlando, elite defenses, but Rod, it wasn't until like the fifth, sixth, seventh game of the season where they really figured out, okay, this is what we can hang our hat on. This is what's going to work. This is what's going to make us an elite defense. And while all the ingredients are there for Chris Ash's defense to be elite, within the first five games of the season, you go to LSU, you go to K-State, and you play Oklahoma. You don't have till game five, six, seven to figure out what you're lead at. And unlike those other coordinators, Chris Ash didn't get a spring ball, and you're basically going to have a compressed camp in terms of the time you really need to get ready for the season. So that's my big concern with Chris Ash. Does he have enough time to figure out what this defense can be lead at, what you can hang your hat on? And by the time he figures it out, is it going to be too late? I think he'll be okay because I think the – COVID-19 crisis that is affecting every football program across the country mm-hmm. is going to have a more devastating effect on offenses. Offenses are about timing and precision. They need reps. So I think the offenses around the country, they're going to take a while just to get into rhythm. They're going to take three, four games to get into a rhythm early on because they just didn't have the spring ball. I think defenses, because most defenses are reactionary and because of the way defenses uh, you know, just because just the natural way that defense is played uh, in football, I think they'll have an advantage over the offenses early on without the reps in the offseason. And, I mean, one of the reasons that, you know, we know that this trend happens, you know, with the first-year coordinator is because of experience on the defensive side of the mm-hmm. ball. It's basically about guys who have how many starting reps do you have returning on defense. Texas has a ton of starting reps returning on defense, and that's really what you get down to. That's that's the point. So I think those guys who are coming back, all that experience you got coming back in the secondary, all the experience you got coming back on the defensive line, this is when it pays off. So I, I do think it will have an effect. I'm not saying it's not going to have a negative effect. I think it will have more of a, ne- a negative effect on offenses. And because Texas is one of the most experienced defenses in the country returning, I think they'll actually be able to mitigate some of those damages that will usually be done by not having – you know, the reps in the, in the spring. Even though, I mean, trust me, I, I get you. I think it's going to have an effect. But at least you have guys 
who've been there and done that and played football at a high level already. Yeah, and Jeff brought up a couple of weeks ago just the mm-hmm. amount of starts that Texas has in context mm-hmm. to those other ones, and it's something that really is about as big. And if you look at just uh, returning production over across the nation and where Texas is coming into this year, and they also rank, it looks like, defensively in the top 14, according to Bill Connolly, which is really good if you're inside that top 15. It's really yeah. elite. Like, you want to be 66%. And he, Texas up at 82%. And just it, while we're continuing in that same vein, you know, you're talking about COVID and how its impact is and how the defenses will be the ones that maybe aren't as affected as much. And then if you want to flip it and look at Texas's exact situation, it's something we brought up a couple months ago. Having a veteran quarterback like Sam Ellinger is yeah, really put you helps. ahead of the race uh, compared to the rest of college football just in context because there's so much difference coming in from like just saying new coaches or different players and things along those lines that really need to be built. And yeah, Texas has lost a lot of skill position guys but when it's your quarterback that's a guy that can lead everything and sort of maybe have more of a streamlined ability and then not have to grasp a new concept Mm -hmm. I mean the big thing that we talked about was one in this continuity and you heard it as alignment even with Herman once he took the job and wanting to have something that becomes linear and this growth can actually happen that way and that's something Texas hasn't had since the fall off since 08 09 and it's been that never-ending cycle so not only can Texas finally have some type of staff continuity and conceptual continuity and even though it is a new offense it's sort of evolving Tom Herman's you know hearing the Yersich talk about the way the terminology is like it's a lot easier you know for me to come in and learn their terminology than mm-hmm. to make 55 players learn new terminology and when Sam Ellinger is that guy that's that leader that very few colleges across the nation probably just a handful can compare their confidence in their quarterback and what he can do in this odd crazy situation we don't even know how it's going to play out boys I found my uh, numbers I was looking for in terms nice. of returning starters <laughs> and I know we went over this but I just like sharing this no, information. reiterate them so the 2011 defense under Manny Diaz had to replace 118 combined career starts from the previous season. That's not a whole lot. Um, And we know what the 11 defense did. The 2014 defense, Vance Bedford only had to replace 119 combined career starts from the previous season. Todd Orlando, that 2017 defense, only had to replace 59 combined career starts. That's how much experience they lost Mm -hmm. from the 2016 defense. Now, the flip side of that is, what did you lose the year you were elite? What did you lose the following year? Going into 2012, Manny Diaz had to replace 173 combined career starts. Yeah, and he lost. That, that was that that defense that lost basically the central nervous system of the defense. You lost Keiston Randall, Manny Acho, Keenan, Keenan Robinson. Robinson, Blake Gideon. Uh, that's I mean, Blake Gideon started more games than any other DB in history at DBU. I mean, Manny Acho is on ES, on Fox now because, you know, he is one of the better football analysts and his football IQ is through the roof. Kenan Robinson played eight, nine years in the league. Keeson Randall even got a chance to play in the league. And that was just a foundation. That was brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, that's part of what the theory was, the central nervous system of his defense, particularly because of how chaotic it was. Right. He, had, he, had, he needed people, he needed guys in there to be air traffic controllers and get guys situated and put them in position to, to, to know their alignment and assignment. And when he lost that, just for a, a, a small period of time, it was devastating to that mm-hmm. Manny Diaz defense. Uh, 2015 defense, Vance Bedford and Charlie Strong had to replace 200 
combined career starts. Yeah. And again, that central nervous system. That's yeah, Malcolm it was. Brown. That was Quandre Diggs. That was Mikael Thompson, mm-hmm. you know, Hicks. Yeah. I mean, that was Malcolm Brown. That was brutal. And then it really hit right Todd there. Orlando twice. The 18 defense com- coming from 17 had to replace 183 combined career starts. And then, and then next year, last year, you had 233 yeah. combined career starts that you were missing. Yeah, the two good news, corners, and yeah. The good news is Chris Ash only has to replace, and the Anthony Cook starts are included in this number, only has to replace 76 combined career starts. That's how much the 2019 defense loses yeah. going into 2020. And really, let's face it, I mean, Brandon Jones and Malcolm Roach, it's really two guys. You're right. Brandon Jones and Malcolm Roach, which, I mean, Brandon Jones, but that's – part of the that, Those guys are – yeah, and those guys consider – Malcolm Roach, he played every position on the defensive front – and Brandon Jones is a guy that was versatile enough to play free safety for you, but also roll down and play the nickel in, mm-hmm. in a game versus LSU, the most potent offense in the country, arguably the most potent offense of all time. That guy was versatile as hell. So you are going to miss those guys, but I believe that you do have enough. I mean, it's, it's, it's really all about experience. By the time I was a junior or a senior, I was pretty confident I could play any, any scheme, any defense, any coverage because of the reps that I had accumulated and now my football IQ. And a lot of that is Coach Dwayne Aquina, who I think is the best DB coach in all of football. But the reason that those defenses are good those first years is the same reason that, you know, you are bad at sex your first time. Mm-hmm. All right? It's experience. You just you don't know what the hell you're doing out there most of the mm-hmm. time. Now, some guys are just freaks of nature, like Nathan Vasher, and the moment he steps on the damn field, he's good. He's good. Like he, there's just no doubt about it. He's good. That there, there are guys like that. Quandre Diggs was like that. Some yeah, guys are just you like talking that. about you guys. They don't realize, have growing pains. You guys realize Derek Johnson. Was Derek Johnson. Like some guys don't have growing pains. I'm not, yeah. I, I've, I've seen it firsthand. But most of us who are human, all right, we actually have to go through growing pains and we develop and we see enough plays. The reason Tom Brady says he says the reason I'm great is because I've seen every defense that they can <laughs> ever throw. I mean, there's nothing you can do that I haven't seen that I haven't cataloged and went. Oh, okay. Now, now I got this. I remember the Bears did this to me in 2014. I remember mm-hmm. this. You know what I mean? He's got that catalog. That's what football players become really, really good. Dre Bly. Dre Bly ran a four six five by the time he was in his fifth year in the league, but he could cover Randy Moss in, in a game. We're like, how the hell can he do that? Well, because his football IQ was really bad because he can, he can almost predict routes based on the combination and the formation and the down and the distance catalog and all that information, processing all that information. That's why those guys are going to be good. That's why in 2000, was it 2018, I believe, after Todd Orlando signed his new deal, I said, Todd Orlando is probably going to be fired in two years. I'm telling you. you. It. I made a black shirt almost prediction on the radio. People were like, that's crazy. You're insane, dude. He's unbelievable. I say, I know he is. We said the same thing <laughs> about Manny Diaz <laughs> and the same thing about Vance Bedford. And we wanted them to be the next head coach and be head coach. And we didn't know how long we had to keep him. We had to overpay him. And I'm saying that's the cycle. And I don't yeah. I'm not saying I know why the cycle happened, but I'm telling you, that's the trend. And when I called it, I said it's gonna happen, and it happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you for Chris Ash, I- I'm trying to figure out how he avoids the cycle. That's what we got to try to figure out because he's going to be good his first year. There ain't no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. All right, history is telling us that. How do you avoid him falling off a cliff the second and the third year? That's the key. And you know what the key is? It goes back to talent development. Yep. When I was here, the reason that defense didn't fall off a cliff is because the guys coming in the pipeline for the, the DBU guys, the Huff Daddies and the Cedric Griffins and the Nathan Vashers, those guys didn't disappoint. They were being developed. And the reason that Texas – we goes back to your Oklahoma-Texas discussion. 
All right. That's about talent development. It all comes back to talent development. All these issues are about talent development. So if Chris Ash wants to avoid the same cycle, Vance Bedford, Manny Diaz, and Todd Orlando, he's got to develop that talent on defense. If he don't, he will relive their past sins. Guarantee you. Yep, and if you want to go on top of it, what you know, asking the question, how do you prevent it? Jeff talked about this recent class and looking at 2018, maybe one of the first ones where the bust rate isn't just all the way through the roof because that's the big issue that we've seen a lot of times after that year. Each time in these cycles, we've seen a bust rate be one that's really big, that really hurts Texas. But as we went over a couple weeks ago, those 18 classes and 19 classes are really boding well that they can actually be ones that Mm -hmm. don't have this immense bust rate. And that's exactly what you're talking about there whenever – after you were the Griffins, the Huffs, and those were those classes, those O two to O five classes. They were better, yeah, than, and the, than we were, and they were, <laughs> and they proved out on paper that they, even at the bottom of those classes weren't total attrition where you lost a third of the kids out of nowhere. And now yeah. you have these cratering holes. So they not changed only, defensive coordinators too. Yeah, they, exactly. they didn't fall off, not because they fell off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, and then they were able to get that success across. And if just to put the numbers to what we're talking about on that 2017 defense, because, you know, talking about having to only replace after, what, 59 guys in starts-wise. 59, you, yeah. And you have 76 this year, and the, that's the closest that you can when you look at all these numbers where it's the fewest to replace. And what did that 2017 defense do? The results on the field now, it's a lot of those non-offensive scores but it even beat out the 05 Texas defense for the best Texas defense that you can find. You had grades in 14 and in 11, right at 81.9. 05 defense was at 85. It's mostly because of those non-offensive scores and just mm-hmm. being such an anomaly. Yeah. But grading up at 86.6 for 2017, that really does, though, bode well when you look and try to see, well, if you're talking about just replacing a handful of guys and then you have some of those key playmakers there and then good. now for the first time you don't have – a class full of busts, and that's what you had each time before after that 14 class and after that 11 class and after that 08 class, and then you had that 9-10 fall or you had the 12-13 fall. You had the other 14-15 situations where you ended up having these classes that might be a purge class or whatever it was. Right now, Texas isn't having that for the 18-19, and that looks good. (laughs) Just to show you how – to, to piggyback off what Matt said, looking at the Football Outsiders Historic S&P Plus, the 2009 defense, mm-hmm. there were six in the country in S&P Plus defense. It's the best rating that Football Outsiders has tracked by Texas defense ever by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, that defense was 2009. also 23rd in the country in front seven havoc rate and ninth in the country in DB havoc rate, which havoc rate is, your, DBs are nasty. is your tackles for loss plus uh, passes defense plus forced fumbles divided Earl by Thomas. the total number of plays you face. Yep. Yeah. Big <laughs> that, yeah. Just stupid, just yep. stupid. Yeah. And watching, I mean, Aaron Williams being a guy, it's sort of, it's like the depth of that 05 team whenever Aaron Ross just had to find a spot on the field, you know, like you couldn't even have a <laughs> and spot. One for, the next year. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have guys like Aaron Williams <laughs> yeah. that on those teams, and that's what you need. to. And at least we've seen Texas maybe start to fill up that back end. But like we started this whole conversation on defense, the D lines, that main issue that you need to be able to be too deep there. You go back to the 05 team teams too deep that 08 team i'd say that 08 team their front four that could be maybe the best front four in modern history for texas football and it was fit to defend what we're seeing right now that was that was late 
and our by the time I got here, we filled up on DBs. Like mm-hmm. that was that was the priority because OU came in with yeah, the well, air raid. Yeah. So it was like, no, no, we got to stockpile DBs. And then later on, you saw in those '04 and '05 teams, you saw the defensive line be solidified. Mm-hmm. But they went, they they almost they built. Now you argue, Mac Brown started building it from the back. From the back up, yep. from the outside yeah. in, he started building. Because he even his, inherited Rodgers and Hampton. You he, know? Yeah, that's a great point too. He inherited some good D linemen, so it wasn't a priority. It wasn't his. And pro- I think yeah. that, along with Bob Stoops bringing in the air raid with Leach, it was like, no, 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 no. At least on defense, they saw we got to load up on DBs, man. If people are going to start hitting us with the spread, yeah, yeah. And that allowed him to take. You know, having Sean Rodgers and Casey Hampton early allowed Mac to take some chances. You know, that's guy, true. Guys that you know, Sonny Davis and guys like that that. Probably were borderline qualified guys. He could take some chance. Took a chance on Marcus Tubbs. Just saw, mm-hmm. hey, here's this guy who's an athlete, and then they flip him to defense, tight end, and he ends up being a first round draft pick. I love yeah. you saying Marcus Tubbs and flipping him because I just have images of him doing front flips off cliffs out of the lake. That's how athletic he was. No, he was a freak. Yeah. So, so Matt, I think Mac took some, took some chances early. Uh, but yeah, you're right, Rod. And then kind of the finishing pieces to that defense you know you start building it early with Michael Huff and Cedric Griffin and then kind of you you end up getting uh you know the Tim Crowders and mm-hmm. the, the guys like that the, the yeah, Brian, Brian Robinson I remember the ones that you developed the yep. Frank Ocam okay. down yep. the road exactly and that's right. where it was was because Rod Wright was sort of the first like five-star D lineman yeah, that you had Matt get and then it was sort of a domino effect going forward because after that Crowder class you had Frank Ocam was uh, just a big time as big of a D tackle prospect you could find the next year you get Roy Miller and you start to stack up those type of guys but it wasn't until O two yeah. 30405 that that started to happen because Corey Matt. Redding Corey Redding was different like Corey Redding was a linebacker coming out of North Shore I think yeah. now if Corey yeah. Redding were a prospect today we would say mm-hmm. oh well he's a he's a hybrid guy just yep. still they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out with no him. question yeah uh, but it was it was a little different back then even though he was still the freaking USA Today defensive player of the year yeah I mean he was <laughs> running down on kickoffs when he first got here and played D tackle in the league they just old, old school football basically turned him into a tackle cuz yeah. and he had the line the cuz he came out as a linebacker though, yeah. to be the linebacker that's oh, what no, people he had saw athleticism. Well, and yeah. that's why he was put at linebacker or labeled as a linebacker cuz he was as athletic of a linebacker but in like a deep lineman's body yeah, he, he was, was so huge yeah you know what's weird though rod you know i was thinking about this because i i kind of i wrote some articles uh kind of at the end of june and in the early part of this month Looking at some of the signings because the signings are on campus right now, mm-hmm. and one, you know, one comparison that I like sticking with defense is is Vernon Broughton to Hassan Ridgeway. I think Vernon mm-hmm. Broughton's that type of guy, just so. a guy that had a basketball background, kind of got the football late, was like a def- high school defensive end, didn't produce, but when he got mm-hmm. against better competition and kicked inside, and the athleticism takes over. He's just a guy at defensive end, but put him at tackle where now his athleticism can take over and. Yeah. Wow, this guy's like this guy could be a difference maker. Ooh, that's uh, a great comparison. You know the the other, but you know Tim Tim Crowder said this. Uh, he told uh, you know, we had this at Hornets twenty four seven. Tim Crowder was talking about some of the D line personnel because Tim still works with a lot of those guys in, in the off season. Mm-hmm. Those guys training. And Alfred Collins is one of those weird guys. You know, kind of like you had Core Redding pegged as a linebacker though. He's yeah. big, like no, but he's that damn athletic. Like Tim said, when he sees Alfred Collins, and we talk about just how important it is to. And we, Rob, we talk about talent development, and this is how you close those gaps in the pipeline, and you don't mm-hmm. have these years where you drop off a cliff. Is can you develop guys like this? The the natural instinct would be, okay, Alfred Collins is a big guy. You kick him inside. Tim said, no, this kid is so athletically gifted. Keep him at defensive end because he could be 
This is Tim Crowder talking, Ooh. so I'll take his word for it. What you about to say? Like, he could be like one of those Bruce Smith, Reggie White type kids. Mm-hmm. That he's just a 300-pound defensive end with just that kind of athleticism to still bend and come off the edge. What? In in today's game? Wow. But that's what I was going to ask you because Is we that, don't – Because those yeah. guys are from a different age of football. Yeah, we don't have think I think you were going to say Rack or something because Rack sort of is what I yeah, see as the body type of No, but Alfred Collins is already 285 pounds. Yeah, no, I would – Man, that's what I'm saying. Everybody assumes he's going to grow into a really like grow a, into Aaron dick, Donald, dick, a de- yeah, D tackle, Chris Jones or something. Because he's, he's he how, how tall is he? he's tall? Right? Alfred's like six four and a half, six yeah, five. Yeah, he's huge. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's, and he's a he's still he's that, don't but even have his grown man body yet. Right. I'm with you. I don't know that. I mean, he I don't know. I haven't seen. I mean, he's seen him. So and I trust my man Tim Crowder. He knows his stuff. So. Ooh, that's that's a scary thought. That's I don't JJ know Watt, if, like, in this day and age, yeah, yeah if you th- need that. Matt, you mentioned it, and I hate saying those names because you're but talking that's about Hall the of body Famers. Type you're talking. But yeah, I mean, J.J. Watt in today's game is the closest thing we see to Bruce Smith and Reggie White. You don't see yeah. six six three hundred guys that play on the edge, but those guys were so rare that it's they could rare. play out on the edge like that because they were so yeah. just they were just freaky athletic. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that's what he's talking about, and that's if it is. Wow. Because in that vein, that's what Corey Redding is just such a tall guy for being a D lineman. And then, because you know, see, like you, he's really six four, isn't he? Like yeah, every time C. I stood next to C. Red, he might be shrinking. Because I would say he might be six five in his prime. As you get old, everybody shrinks. By the way, I'm not just talking about C. Red. Uh, but no, no, and I, maybe this is what because I wonder. I always want to get in the rooms where they're talking about recruiting. Um, in the macro sense, yeah. about what their you know what their philosophy is, right? About certain positions and about how they want to approach long term um, approach building the program, what they want it to look like in five years. Is this guy our prototypical corner linebackers? All this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Because you know, oftentimes I think it switches. We just talked about Texas when the air raid comes in with Leach and and Akina goes, man, I need cover. I need everybody. To, I need everybody on the back end to be able to cover whatever position you play. You can't be a liability in coverage. That's where it starts, and that's why he started putting safeties, you know, corners at safety and 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 changing up DBU like that with the five two DB. And I wonder, you know, looking at Texas on the defensive line, if they just want guys who they can move around their D-line at almost any position. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that that type of multiplicity. Because the truth is, one of the things that you may have to do to evolve the game to counter what's happening with all the offensive cheat codes <laughs> that you have now, the mini cheat codes, it's just guys who can play different positions, the hybrids. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those guys, if you just if you if you mold them the right way physically, they can become hybrids for you on that defensive line. They sound yeah. like guys that can play inside, depending on the situation, especially in the Big 12, and more passing situations. And then you got guys that, if they're going to run, hey, man, we can, depending on the team we play, the matchup, maybe they like to run more. All right, you know what? Let's move them. Um, let's move our, let's move them outside this week. Or let's move them inside this week because they like to pass and they're, they're weak in terms of pass protection in the interior. Let's put them there. Yeah. yeah so we can, everybody, everything becomes matchup based. Get all you know the Lamar I mean? Houston's and all the Henry Melton's. That you can yeah. because of those type of athletes that are the 6'3, 275. You don't know I'm what to do, these guys but they around. don't have an ounce of fat. And the quarterback's on their body. trying to read. He's trying to do a pre-snap read and figure out, all right, who's the who's a wheel linebacker? Mm-hmm. Who's playing uh, strong safety? Who's playing this? And he can't figure out a damn thing because my guys are just moving. 
and positionless football. <laughs> yeah. And I got like three or four different Isaiah Simmons out here. And it's like, yeah. well, I can't read a damn thing. And that's kind of what John Heacock is doing with Iowa State. Yeah. It's a little version of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think you hit it on the head, Rod. I think where it's going is you mentioned matchups, and I think that's how defensive coordinators now look at it. And you can get into specifics of what Texas wants because every defensive coordinator yeah. knows what they want. But I think that's how you have to play it is you have to do it, okay, based on the matchup, and it can change week to week. But I think in that vein, when you're recruiting guys, I think it has to be how much versatility can we get? How many positions can this guy play? Mm-hmm. We don't want to just recruit corners. I need a guy that can play field, boundary, he can play nickel, nickel he anything. can play in our dime package, whatever. You've got to be able to maximize those guys. And I think what it, it's something we've talked about, and I think now in this conversation of how does Chris Ash, if he succeeds in year one, how does he keep it going, I think that's a big part of it where you, in recruiting you have to identify guys that have versatility and specialized guys are going by the wayside. You know, you can't really recruit the the 240-pound thumping middle linebacker anymore. Mm. You know, unless he's just a freak like Keandre Coburn, you don't need a ton of defensive tackles that are 330 pounds. Yeah, they're one. You know, you might you might you can get yeah. away with maybe one. one. Yeah. And when but, you have that one tool, you just become more of a niche specialized player that then it's the reason why those are the ones devalued in the NFL. Yeah. Easier to match up, easier to, to scheme against. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> you do one thing, and you're playing them off. The, yeah. And it's the same thing in basketball when you hear somebody saying, well, they're going to play them off the court. And it's because, well, because athletically, you just can't match up. If you have these guys that can switch and that can go out and a Draymond Green can go down and play center, but then can come out and guard your point guard. And those yeah. are those type of guys that then if you have one flaw, they can get that switch, and then they'll go and get you on the perimeter, and then they'll blast past you and beat you. And it's the same idea in football. If you end up having one guy that has just one tool or one use, and then until you substitute, you can't take them off, so you can just exploit that mismatch, and it makes that position then become devalued at linebacker or like it would at running back. It's interesting to look at it from this standpoint, too. And, Rod, I'll I'll turn to you because I know you study the league a lot. you know, I like to think about guys, and Matt, you can throw out any examples if you want to as well, guys that played 20, 30 years ago that could play in the league today based on their skill sets. And like mm. one that jumps to the top of my mind, like Ronnie Lott could play football today. Oh, yeah. Because you think of, people think of Ronnie Lott, oh, big hit or big thumper. People forget Ronnie Lott was a corner at one time. Play corner so Ronnie safety. Lott, Ronnie yep. Lott could play football in 2020. Ronnie, oh, Ronnie Lott hell. basically – People forget, like, what Ed Reed has been. That's what Ronnie Lott was no 20 question. years before. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Uh, you know, it's like so, the opposite version of guys that maybe weren't as good yeah. but would be great nowadays are your Eric Metcalfs or players like that. You know, like there's Eric that Metcalf other universe where there's so many players. Awesome. But, like, yeah. I think about a guy like Darren Woodson who was kind of a linebacker at Arizona State but mm-hmm. then played safety in the league. Another good one. Darren Woodson would be a linebacker in today's NFL yeah, and would. probably a pretty damn good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one that's Levante that plays, David that never leaves the field. Yeah. So it's it's and then like the defensive lineman like I don't know if teams would have Bruce Smith and Reggie White out on the edge because they would probably be granted different body type. Well, hell, that's what Indomitian Sue is, right? The Indomitian Sue is what six five, three hundred pounds. Yeah, they would be like, oh my god, this guy is an athletic guy on the interior. He's just going to destroy guards and centers. Yeah, no, I agree with that, man. It's it's some and it's I think that's where football is going. I think it's going to more of a a, mo- a multiplicity mindset. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there are a lot of guys. I mean, I think the defensive backs is where it starts. The Derwin James and the Jamal Adams and the Isaiah Simmons, those are the guys I think it starts with 
because guys like Shanahan, the reason he's playing 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end, he's trying to get you in 40 personnel. He's trying to get you to put as many linebackers on the field mm-hmm. because that's a position that we've even identified in the Big 12 level. That's a position right now that is hardest for defensive coordinators to evolve into this modern passing game. Yeah. It's really hard to find those guys who can who can thump who got that element of physicality, but also can run like a deer. And, I mean, and it's, they're comfortable in space. And it's like, yeah. how the hell do you find those? Where are those guys? And I think you, <laughs> I think now you have kind of a template to identify them. But on defense, it's easier to identify what kind of linemen and DBs you want. But the linebackers who have to roam that, that purgatory of the run defender, but, hell, they also are trying to target me and, and find me as a mismatch in mm-hmm. pass coverage. How do you find those guys who can do both? And that's why, like, on the same yeah. spectrum of guys that were so far ahead of their time. And that's this was only Woodson 15 guy. years yeah. ago. But Texas doesn't win a national championship without Drew Kelson playing linebacker because he's a guy that can cover yeah. and out of the backfield with Reggie Bush. I mean, point. you look at that. And I've rewatched a lot of games yeah, during this coronavirus and rewatching that defense all the way across the board Man. and how huge he was. And about that's that. how far ahead of the time uh, that that ahead, defense was. was. And they're like, yeah. I don't care. He's not a linebacker. We need some. Somebody to run with Reggie, and he'd been doing that since Oklahoma State earlier in the season. DBI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drew, Drew Carlson. Drew Carlson. Him and Narakpo yeah. coming out, what, the same year? Same year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's good. Good reference. I didn't think about that. Yeah. No, Drew Kelson was a guy who, who was ahead of his time. But, you know, you look at the way this Texas defense is, is constructed and, and how they're building it for the future. I, I think they've finally – it seems like they've got a handle on linebacker. You know, they added – Chris Ash got hired by the time they added – I think he got added before right around the time they added Jalen Ford to the 20, 2020 recruiting class who was you know, a high school inside linebacker, 6'1", 6'2", 215. And, you know, Rod, the NFL draft numbers are suggesting guys like Jalen Ford, guys like Maurice Blackwell in the, in the 2021 class. Yep. You know, your guys that are now developing into NFL linebackers coming out of high school, they are 6'1", between 6'1", and 6'2". Around 190, 195 pounds, big and, and run in the four sixes. They're big safety. You know, if you're a 230 pound guy coming out of high school, you're probably not gonna have the kind of future you think mm-hmm. you're gonna have, or that you would have had 15, 20 years ago. No doubt, playing that position. What Gary Patterson's been doing for years. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, one the one thing I wanted to look at real quick before we talk some Big 12 and wrap this thing up. When you look at kind of production loss from one year to the next for Texas. The, probably the most disappointing defense of the last 10 years is the 2013 defense because you only lost 76 combined career starts from 2012. And you think about that, right? Like because of it, because of injury, Cedric Reed ended up playing a lot. Jackson Jeffcoat and, you know, was hurt, but you know, healthy over a full season. We finally mm-hmm. got to see what he was able to yeah. do really off the 12 defense. Really all you lost going into the next year was kind of like we talked about this year. You really lose Brandon Jones and Malcolm Roach. That 12 defense going into 13, really, granted, you lost two really good players. You really lost Kenny Vaccaro and Alex Okafor. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. And you re-brought everybody else back. Yeah. But that's two huge pieces. I was going to say. It was two huge pieces. Steel playing in the league. Well, and that's the definition of defense. You need a pass rusher, and then you need a playmaker on the back end. And he was a – I mean, that guy was a Swiss Army knife. Mm -hmm. Played any damn thing. But the frustrating thing with that that defense Mm -hmm. is – and it's one of those things that when He's you like look at how you look at all the what ifs for this program, what if Mac had just fired Manny Diaz? 
after 2012. And, Greg and Robinson. if Greg Robinson had gotten a full Dang. offseason. Because, Rod, you look You're at right. the numbers, and Greg even, though, defense was even though that defense was a you-know-what show early in the year, and gosh, yeah. if you haven't been to the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page, go mm-hmm. there because Matt posted the picture and it's up there. It's like our backdrop mm-hmm. of Rod, <laughs> Rod looking on at a conversation between oh, Matt, man. Manny, and Dwayne Aquina. The uh, death of Manny when he's being <laughs> really, killed. Yeah. Like you got, uh, I was mad at Manny, too. That and, day. and Rod, I, Rod, Rod, I wish too. I still had that photo wish I'd say I might disgusted he's just looking away while Max just spewing I might have those texts save on a on like a external hard drive somewhere because man Rod boy if you guys think Rod gets hot on his show or on this podcast man Rod had some hot sports opinions that night in Provo that I was getting right around the third quarter is just scrolling down my phone man that was that was a hard day that was a hard day to be a Longhorn fan (laughs) but you look but Rod you look at the production of that 2013 (laughs) defense compared to 2012 over at the end of at the end of the year yards per play 2012 5.9 yards per play allowed 5.9 2013 five and a half mm-hmm. went down almost a half a yard of play rushing yards per game and this is with the BYU game included your rushing defense was better you gave up 192.2 in 2012 183.1 in 2013 yards per carry go down from 4.6 to 4.4 year over year scoring defense improved from 29.2 down to 25.8 turnovers forced improved from 21 to 26 mm-hmm. and i bet you if i find if, i wonder if sp plus will agree with me on this as i flip through my pages as you guys can hear that Pretty organized on actually this edition of More the show organizing me mine are loose yeah uh, this is yeah. Tight. This is my nba binders hot damn <laughs> SP plus defense in 2012, 43rd nationally, and again, that 43rd. Well, that's it's opponent adjusted, so you're playing some yeah. really good offenses, so yeah, whatever. Uh, you were a top 25 SP plus defense in 2013 wow. at, by the end of the year. That's crazy. You were 18th nationally in front seven havoc rate. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's legit, man. Taysom Hill. Yeah, that's an under. You forget how how much improved they were after Greg Robinson takes over. Man, if if Gerg had had a whole off season. I don't mean to say disrespect. I know the Michigan fans call him Gerg still, but you know, <laughs> Gerg. if Greg if Greg Robinson had a whole off season to put in that defense, and we've heard Tim and guys that played for him, like even guys in the league, they're like nobody understood stopping a spread offense better yeah, than Greg. Yeah, that was one thing he 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 figured out pretty well was how to stop the spread. And <laughs> at that time, there was a ton of spread offenses in the Big Twelve. Yeah, they and all then spread. these other co- schools at other conferences they w- wanted Greg to come in and implement their defense, and he had no d- spread they to defend. They weren't running spreads. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> well, I can't stop yeah. this twenty-one. They're just coming right at us. A fullback. I don't Syracuse. know what the hell to do. <laughs> so you know, that's amazing. I didn't realize that though. That's enlightening. How was, I never got any, I never got anybody to give me a straight answer. I don't know if he brought back. You remember like when he was with the Broncos and they did uh he had the, the little puppet beaver that he was stuffed beaver that he would carry. Yeah. That the, he did. Be, the beaver is the most diligent worker in the animal kingdom. Yeah. And if you if you made a big play, you got the little beaver around your neck. <laughs> That's real. People go look at it. Up. Up. Seriously, that. No, this is real. Pelt. I remember this because we tried we tried to make a movement for it here, but it didn't. He wasn't. It wasn't around. Long and it's that. funny because they had bigger that, fish to fry at the time. I think right. we're talking about him and Manny replacing Manny, and that's the turnover chain guy. Oh, that's true, man. He's a turnover. They both had so their dude. own little yeah, little, little, yeah, little gimmicks, sir, <laughs> to pump everybody up. I don't know. The turnover chain's a little classier than a stuffed beaver on a rope, but that's 
That's just, I kind of like that stuff, Beaver, though. It's pretty cool, though. Yeah. It's also a very old white guy thing. That is a very old white but guy But it's thing. funny. Like, if you go find that ESPN pro, it's like old school guys like Bill Romanowski and Alfred yeah. Williams talking about Greg Robinson running around, like, before games, yelling, the Beaver is out. The Beaver is out. <laughs> I remember seeing that on NFL <laughs> TV. Yeah. And it was being like, what are they talking about? But I remember about? we asked him about it in press conferences, and he did the same thing. Like, we would ask Cedric Reed, like, the players, like, oh, we've heard about the Beaver. We haven't seen it, though. And you'd ask, you'd ask Greg Robinson, he'd be like, what do you what do you mean? Yeah, Acting like he didn't know the about beaver? the beaver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know about the beaver, man. Come on. Those are them old school coaches, though. Before the everything was just there to be consumed, you actually had a locker room talk, which may stay in the locker room. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, I'm trying to see, guys, if I can find my my uh, numbers. Actually, you know what? This is how prepared I am for this week's show. Um, oh, I, I screenshotted these num these numbers oh, that's and the best sent way them to, do to it. you guys oh, yeah. last week. I've so, seen these screenshots. Oh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, you got the odds in front of you. Yeah, okay. So this is, uh, you know, our, you know, my good friends at CBS Sports Line because we're all in the same family, Horns 24-7, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports and Sports Line. Uh, right. They sent out uh, – so basically it was, it was a couple different things. One was uh, win probability based on 10,000 simulations of the college football season based on uh, – what did, what did uh, they call it? Based on their advanced data model. Okay. And the the win totals are down a little bit. Like they had Oklahoma at like ten point six wins, and Texas I think was second. Texas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State are all there, like eight point one, eight point two wins. Uh, but win probability to win the Big Twelve, and they so basically I'm looking at two different columns: William Hill Sportsbook and the CBS Sportsline simulation. Okay. William Hill odds as of the time that I received this. William Hill odds Oklahoma fifty percent chance to win the Big Twelve. Plus one hundred, Texas plus one fifty, forty percent, and then in the simulations, Oklahoma's winning the Big Twelve twenty eight point right twenty eight and a half percent of the time. Texas oh, almost twenty. Low. Texas almost twenty six percent of the time. So you figure, okay, based on the odds in the simulation, Texas and Oklahoma one two in the Big Twelve. I think everybody kind of generally agrees with that, mm-hmm. even though. At twenty four seven sports today, uh, some of our analysts across the Oak network. State released uh, a preseason Big 12 poll, and based on the way everybody voted, Texas came in fourth, but I digress. On my preseason— Oak State and Iowa State? Yeah, on my preseason ballot, I had Texas second. Some people like Oak State. But here's where—and I'm glad you mentioned Oklahoma State, right? because here's where it gets tricky. And, Matt, I want you to talk about this and and the value that can Mm -hmm. be found here. According to William Hill Sportsbook, your next best odds to win the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma are Oklahoma State at 16.7%. And I was then Iowa State at six point two percent, okay. But based on the simulations by Sportsline, Iowa State's winning the conference twenty one point seven percent of the time. Damn. Oklahoma State only six point one. Whoa! So there's a the Huge simulations job. and the odds agree. Texas and Oklahoma won two, three and four. The odds like wow. Iowa, the odds like Oklahoma State, the simulations and the data. Loves Iowa State a lot more. Why? Why is that the case? Let me try to think. Rod, while you ponder that, Matt, can you just reiterate to the folks if you're into this sort of thing? You said this, I think, last week when we started talking about this. You believe there's probably no better value for a conference champion in college football right now than Iowa State. Yeah, and even like on the book that I used to always use, Sportsbook, they don't even have Big 12 available now. It was available a week ago. So like, there's some people looking at things and being like, hey, this is a little off kilter. Think because, some of the Cyclone money started well, yeah, to come in? Yeah, because I mean, if you're talking about 28.5%, 26 and 22% roughly, I mean, that's making up 
more than three quarters of the market, and it's not much difference between the two of them. You know, you're talking about uh, right there at a coin flip, coin flip, coin flip, if you want to look at those three, and the rest of the league has the same amount. But when you're getting 15 times the value for Iowa State to Oklahoma or 10 times the value from Iowa State to Texas, meaning you can bet one and a half to one on Texas to win, and Iowa State's 15 to one. That's 10 times the value, yet if you're looking at the simulations, winning 22% to 26%, and you're talking about right there, that's about a 20% difference between the two. We aren't talking about 10 times the better value, so you couldn't find a better one if you wanted to throw down something and trying to hit a long shot that really isn't a long shot. It's almost sitting in there as a three-headed horse to go through. Just one's viewed 10 to 15 times worse than the other. And that's just public. That's looking at, first of all, you have fan bases that will go and bet, but that isn't necessarily what they're always going to be looking at. They're going to be looking at the national perception, and nationally also the perception is going to be this is a two-headed race. So you're just getting a devalued version of Iowa State, even though the Brock Purdy factor, the John Heacock factor, the few things that can maybe help you win – you're still at a little disadvantage, mm. but you aren't at 10 to 15 times the disadvantage. You're at about a incremental, what would be like a decimal, a tenth or a twentieth of a disadvantage. Rod, here's where I think it comes out on Iowa State. I think when you look at Oklahoma State, I think history tells us, okay, you, pretty, you know what you've got in Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace, and we figure Spencer Sanders is going to be better in year two. And history tells you that when Mike Gundy has an experienced defense, they figure out, yeah. Some way to cobble cobble together, together nine ten wins. Yeah. With Iowa State, I think it was how many one possession games they played in last year. So you know they're going to play a lot of close games, and I think it's the fact that Brock Purdy's a year older. You've got one of the more, probably the most underrated receiver in the conference in Deshante Jones. Then you've got Brees Hall, who I don't know was Brees Hall thousand yard rusher last year. Is really good, really He's good really running good back. Player. But as we know, it's like it's last couple of years in the Big Twelve been pretty deep when you talk about talented running. Uh, and then you look at that defense, and I think returning Jaquan Bailey, who redshirted last year, was a preseason All Big Twelve guy. You bring him back off a redshirt year, and we know John Heacock is ahead of the curve in in terms of trying to figure out how to best defend these air raid offenses. Mm-hmm. So I think it's. Kind of you can, and, and I didn't even mention Charlie Kolar in terms of their offensive skill personnel. That's tight end. I think a lot of it has to do with, and I don't know if the simulations or uh, if this factors into it or not. I think it's confidence in John Heacock and, and just his reputation, and then the fact that other than Sam Ellinger, you would probably pick Brock Purdy to be the the, the next best quarterback in the league. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, that's interesting. I don't, I can't really figure out why they would have. Iowa State that much ahead of right. Oklahoma State. Uh, I, I would disagree with the simulations. Another huge factor that I think you would bet factor into the simulations, because this is strictly from a mathematical standpoint, not from, say, what we look at on the field. Iowa State gets to play at home against Oklahoma. That's a huge game for them. And then now they do have to come to Texas. But if you look at their home schedule, they get some of the toughest games across the board, Baylor, K-State, and Oklahoma at home. And then the way that their buys align, they get a buy before Oklahoma. So just looking at how the simulations are going to read those home versus away advantage comes down to like them against Texas on November 21st is what it sort of looks like. When do they play Oak State? Play Oakie State on the 10th. 
where actually where, that isn't a buy so that's right that's that. at still water yeah that's yeah the i big mean so one. i don't know if that's necessarily yeah, yeah you know what i mean like how's that mm-hmm. level out they got to play still water at True. still water they got to go to texas but they don't, don't have to go to Lubbock. They don't have to go to Oklahoma. They don't mm-hmm. have to go to Manhattan. So just when looking at the conference. Oklahoma's road record in the Big 12 is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily a, a thing, but I agree with you. Just I mean, with the point. simulation, you just make saying that, that if we're talking about a simulations yeah. data model, they're going to look at who you get at home because of that's the true. home away, and that might be a reason why. It could be. They go to Iowa. I haven't looked at how good Iowa's going to be this year. But, Rod, you look at them last year, Iowa State, <clears throat> Their loss to Iowa was a one-point loss. Loss to Baylor was a two-point oh, no, loss. Yeah, they, lost to Oklahoma State games. by a touchdown. One-point loss to Oklahoma on the road. Uh, they lost a 10-point game at K-State, and then they got thumped pretty bad by Notre Dame uh, in the bowl game. And then other than the losses, the only other game they played that was within a touchdown was Texas. Mm-hmm. And we know they been, if yeah, – yeah, they, they beat Texas. As for, I mean, Texas I, I, should have won that game. You hate to even bring this up because of all the good he did for the program, but – Man, Malcolm Roach doesn't jump off sides. Mm. Texas probably wins that game. Or if Texas just doesn't decide to, you know, go back to a bad, oh, incompetent yeah. game plan offensively. Yeah. yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, that's – but either way – Texas yeah, had plenty of chances to they, win that football game. They played close games. And I, I'm a Purdy believer. I love I love Brock Purdy. Maybe the simulations love Brock Purdy as much as I do. Uh, at this point, as we as we wrap this thing up, but we'll talk more about this the next week going into Big 12 Media Days, which will be the following week, the online version of Big 12 Media Days this year. Uh, Rod, have you did you yeah. fill out did you Big fill out a preseason Big Twelve ballot for No You didn't, didn't mess I don't, with it this I year. usually don't do that. They send me it, but I don't usually don't do it. So I filled mine out this year. I had Texas second behind Oklahoma. Do you do you feel like Texas is the second best team in this conference? I think the Big Twelve is gonna be unbelievably competitive this year. I, I do. I think it's going to be really competitive. I, I think you can make a case that Oklahoma State's a better football team than Texas. You can make that claim. I mean, they got the best running back in the country. They got a, a lit in the call for what finalist. I think, they dynamic got the, I think they got the best receiver in the country. You know what I mean? Wow. It's they always have a trio receiver, there. Best wide receiver and the best running back in it's the like country. It's like Jez and Kendall Hunter right. or they had black they're, men back in the day. Yeah, they're, with, more exper- they're more experienced team than Texas. Hopefully I get year. to put that theory to the test because the other two guys that you would put in there with Tyler Wallace, the, the two guys that jumped to my mind, Devontae Smith at Alabama and Jamar Chase yeah. at LSU. Hopefully we get to put that theory to the test and we get to see – Jamar Chase yeah. and Tyler Wallace this year. People would say that Gundy's a better coach than Herman, or at least has proven more. I don't know. I just I think Texas. I probably would put him there, but that's because I'm I'm a Texas homer. The truth is, you can make a damn good argument that Oklahoma State should be considered the second best team in the conference and not Texas. Right. And just because Oklahoma is the king of the conference and Lincoln Riley, whatever quarterback he touches, ends up being a Heisman Trophy finalist. You can just and they've won the conference with what thirteen times with eight different quarterbacks. You can assume they're going to be number one. I, I'd argue Oklahoma State probably should be considered too. And the only reason Texas is too is because Sam Ellinger. But man, they, they they're right there. And then you got Iowa State, which mm-hmm. I I think is the fourth best team. Well, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you went there because my next question and and we could talk more about this next week. When you talk about what – it's going to be one of those years for Tom Herman where you get into, okay, number of games won, and did you make the Big 12 championship game in terms of talking about the future? Could it end up being, Rod, one of those quirky years for Texas where maybe you go 9-3 and three and you don't reach the Big 12 championship game? Or could it be one of those quirky years where, hey, maybe 8-4 and four gets you in? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, it could be one of those years. Yeah. 
where chaos ensues with in the within the conference, which would probably be good. Like, for could Texas. you could Texas in theory go ten and two and not make the Big Twelve championship game? Oh, that'd, that'd be, be tough. That'd be tough. Yeah, but you could lose nine conference games. I guess you're right. Yeah, that's a good point. You could lose to could LSU. Could you go? Could you? Well, could you? And then lose one, or you could beat LSU and lose two conference games and lose a tiebreaker. Yeah. Oof. I guess it all depends on who you lose to. Yeah, that, that's that gray area though. But at the area, same yeah. time, you know, let's say it's eight and four, and it just ends up being one of those quirky deals. Or hey, you're in the conference championship game and you win. You say, well, nine, nah, nine and four wasn't a good regular season. Okay, but you won the conference. That's well, true. Like, and that's where it sort of will just come down. If we're looking at it being that you have to get into that conference championship game, it sort of says, well, maybe Oklahoma isn't the most important game, and it's beating Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Iowa State because those are going to be the tiebreakers, and that's going to be how uh, you get inside your assumptions. Oklahoma's in already. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in already. <laughs> but, but if you're being realistic, we got to really focus on these because that's it would really point. suck to beat Oklahoma the way you've done before, but then you don't get a go because you screw up against the other other guys and you have a worst record it was sort of the old school mm. big 12 south situation now you don't have to deal with it nearly as much but if you're going to be in that company down there it's like if you look clearly at just winning the national championship like whose odds are there oklahoma's the state's the clear-cut third best and then you got baylor and iowa state right there at 200 to 1 as 4-5 so according to vegas it's like oklahoma state's that clear challenger to winning it all to surpassing, which means actually winning the conference championship because mm-hmm. they have that top-end ability, maybe not just yep. systemically sound as Iowa State can get into there, but maybe not be – they're like that regular season NBA team, but not the team that can go all the way. We'll pick oh, the, like the Rockets. Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll pick this up next week, but, Matt, based on what you're saying, I think this is something we talked about earlier in the offseason, and this is where a lot of these topics are now going to resurface as we get closer – to the start of camp and the six-week ramp-up to the start of the season. The growth Tom Herman needs to make as a head coach is you can't have any more of those WTF losses nope. to get where you want to be. You can't mm-hmm. have – you there can't, there can't be any Marylands. Agreed. Uh, no more Texas Tech mm-hmm. two years ago. No more mm-hmm. Iowa State and TCU last year. Yeah. That was where like the, just yep. – Beginning Even of the though Mac the, era look, had the you know the NC State or the Arkansas or games against Stanford or something that true. something would happen, but then those sort of went away whenever it got to championship level. Even even though you know they were the road technically a road underdog going to Iowa State. If you ask most Texas fans, should Texas go to Jack Trice Stadium and lose a football game, they would no. probably say not no, but hell no. Nope, and Iowa oh, State no. fans will probably agree with you. Yep, exactly. The, the ones I, I saw the one time they <laughs> shut out Texas, they did. Yeah. Matt, why do you keep bringing that up? I just on my mind, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah, speak it. Look, man, I was I was at I was at Ames for twenty four nothing, and I was in Matt, uh, Lawrence for Charlotte's last stand. So mm. those are two days. I, uh, I'll really, really oh, like to forget. Man. So uh, at least we're Sad happy to days. be where we're at these days, but yeah. still not there, going up the mountain. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B on that triple option afternoon show each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get the Blitz each and every week. Search Horns 24-7 Podcast anywhere you get your podcast. That's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship just by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. And don't forget to like us and leave us a review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.